This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Funding for Igeret Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Middle of chapter 8, page 1088. And he basically finished describing the higher level of Teshuvah, which is a complete level of Teshuvah. He started out earlier in chapter 4, the Zohar. The Zohar says that Teshuvah is Tashuv Hey. You have to restore, return the Hey. Hashem's name. Hashem is Yud Hey Vav Hey. Yud Kei Vav Kei. So there's two Hey's. So there's two returns. There's a return of the lower Hey, the last Hey, Yud Kei Vav Kei. That's the lower level of Teshuvah. Then you have the Teshuvah of the higher level, which is restoring the first hay, the higher hay. And each of these letters represents a different level of Teshuvah. The f- basic level of Teshuvah, the ground floor, the hay, the foundation of Teshuvah is the whole point of when a person sins, basically you throw off the yoke of heaven. You're free. In Yiddish you call a freier person, a free person, you're free to live as you please. You have your rights, you're an American, you can do as you want, wish as you pl- do as you please. You own your life, you own your body, you don't belong to Hashem. Hashem is not going to tell you what to do, what not to do. So basically, you threw off the yoke of heaven, you disconnected yourself, you deserted, you rebelled, you went awal, and the idea of Teshuvah means you reconnect. How do you reconnect? You basically say to Hashem, I am yours. I belong to you. I am yours. You re- re-accept upon yourself the yoke of heaven. That your behavior, you take upon yourself, that you're going to behave, and you're going to follow Hashem's wish. Now, that's on a very basic, simple level, that's the essence of Teshuvah. And that point of return happens in one moment, one split second. You are out, and now you're in. How far is east from west? You have to turn around. You were facing in the opposite direction. You turned your back to God. And now you're turning your face. You're coming back home. Coming back home. That's the, the essence of Teshub. That's the change. But then you have a deeper level of Teshub. As the verse says, Sur Merar, turn away from evil. Then it continues, Vasetoiv and do good. Chapter 34 in Psalms, we say it every Shabbat morning in the prayer. Sur turn away from evil. So when a person throws off the yoke of heaven, you have no yoke, you don't have to answer, you don't have no responsibilities, you don't have any, nothing binds you, nothing. Then that's ra, that's evil. Sur turn away from evil, come back home, reconnect, and willingly submit, accept upon yourself the yoke of heaven, you're not free. You belong to Hashem. It's a 
an honor and it's a privilege to be Hashem's servant, to be Hashem's soldier, to be Hashem's ambassador, to be... And you accept upon yourself the yoke of heaven. That's the basic, simple level of Teshuvah. So you've turned away from Ra. But then there's a higher level of Teshuvah. Within the lower level of Teshuvah, there's the higher level, which is Vasei do good. Do good means not only to fulfill your obligations, to do your responsibilities, but try to do good beyond your responsibility. Push yourself. Push yourself to the limit. Try to take upon yourself even more than what's necessary or you're obligated. You know, Judaism shouldn't be like, like paying income taxes. Don't just do the bare minimum and fill your obligations and you're done with. Okay, I've done my responsibilities. Now let me go back. Let me, let me go back to my own life. Because then it means it's a burden. So the, first, the lower level is that I have devoted, I've given over my behavior to Hashem. Hashem, my behavior belongs to you. Whatever you command me to do, I'm going to do. I don't want to do it. I'm not interested in doing it. It doesn't matter. I'm in the mood. I'm not in the mood. I woke up on my left side and my right side. These are my obligations. These are my duties. Like a real soldier. You know, soldiers don't, don't follow moods. You know, they, they follow orders. It doesn't matter what's going on inside. They're reliable. They're dependable. That's the definition of a soldier. You've committed yourself, you've dedicated yourself, you are con- you're connected to something greater than yourself, and a command is a command, and you follow. That's what it means, accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven. Nasa we will do, and then we will listen. This is the foundation, this is the, the, the uh, underpinning, this is the cornerstone. Without this, we have nothing. What it means is, me, myself, I have my own private life, but I've dedicated my behavior to Hashem. Hashem, Hashem's wish is my command. Asei toiv means not only that I've dedicated my behavior to Hashem, but I am dedicated to Hashem. It's not only that I accept upon myself the yoke of heaven that I'm going to do whatever I'm commanded to do. My, my being, I am your servant. I am your soldier. That's what, that's what I'm all about. I'm totally delivering myself to you. I'm devoting myself to you. I am yours. How do you, how do you express that? that? That's a much deeper dedication and devotion. How do you express that? By doing good. Not just trying to fulfill your obligation, what's necessary. But going beyond your obligation. Trying to learn and more. Pushing yourself. Pushing the envelope. Going beyond your nature, giving more tzedakah than feels comfortable, going beyond your comfort zone, studying, stretching yourself, studying a little extra, you're tired, you're exhausted, put yourself a drop. Whatever it is, pray a little harder, do an extra act of goodness and kindness, give an extra, squeeze out an extra smile in your face when your muscles are already tired. <laughs> You've reached the quota for the day. It's pushing yourself, and that shows that you, you are dedicated to Hashem. It's not just my actions are dedicated. But I am dedicated to But even that level, this is still the lower level of Teshuvah. Because there are still two entities here. There is me and there is Hashem. But I am devoted, I am dedicated, I, I belong to Hashem, I'm His, I'm His servant, I'm His soldier, I'm His loyal, you know, my whole life 
but nevertheless, there's my life and there's Hashem, and I'm dedicating my life to Hashem. But there's still a separation. Then that leads us to the next level, the higher level of Teshuvah. The higher level of Teshuvah is to overcome this separation, to go from ego to egolessness, to overcome the separation that divides us and Hashem. The mere fact that I exist, the mere fact that I'm born and I exist, is already a separation. Our soul, the Torah says, Hashem blew into Adam's nostrils. But the breath, when the breath leaves, when the person blows, yes, the person blows from within him, but the breath leaves the person and enters entered into the nostrils. So the breath becomes separate from its source. So even though the breath, unlike speech, speech is external, but breath comes from within, but when you breathe, you actually breathe, the breath separate. When you breathe out, you blow out, you blow out the breath, the breath is separate from the source, becomes separated from its source. Where was this breath before you, before you blew, before you breathed, before you blew out? The breath was inseparable from you. There was no separation. The breath was from within you. The breath comes from within you, and you blow it out. Where was this breath before you blew it out? It was within you. It was united, inseparable from you. So there is the soul, the way the soul is before the soul is born. Before the soul is born, the soul is one and inseparable from Hashem. There's no separation. There's no separate entity. There's no ego. And the moment the soul is born, it's like Hashem breathes out, so like blows his breath out. Yes, it comes from within Hashem, but nevertheless Hashem blows his breath out, so it becomes a separate entity. So the fact that the soul is separate, the soul didn't sin. The soul is completely dedicated to Hashem and doing the Torah and doing the mitzvot and is completely devoted and not only surmeidah, not only is he turning away from evil, he hasn't thrown off the yoke of heaven, but he's pursuing his whole life, is pursuing Torah and mitzvot and doing good and going beyond the letter of the law, etc. But nevertheless, there's a separation. There's a sense of I. I am dedicating myself to Hashem. I am totally and completely dedicated to Hashem. I am a servant of Hashem, but there's the servant, there's, there's the master. It's a separation. The higher level of tshuva is the attempt to bridge, to overcome this gap, to return, restore. Teshuvah means to restore, to restore the soul back. Baruch Tashuva restored the soul back to its state the way it was before Hashem breathed the soul out of himself, so to speak. When the soul was completely united and one with Hashem, when there is no ego, there is no separation. So to go from ego to egolessness, that's the higher level of Teshuvah. How do you achieve it? And he says the way you achieve it is... This state of unity and this return are called Teshuvah Yilah, the higher level of repentance that follows Teshuvah Tata, the lower level of repentance. The Zohar in Raya Mehana, Parshish Naso explains that Teshuvah Yilah means engaging in the study of the Torah, and He says, how do you achieve the higher level of Teshuvah? So the way you achieve the higher level of Teshuvah is by studying Torah. Because Sur, Meirava, Seitoi, the two lower levels of Teshuvah are mitzvot. Mitzvot, by definition, means that there's a separation. Hashem is commanding us. So there's a separation. Commanding means I'm commanding an outsider. How do we make Hashem king? If you listen to yourself, you're not king. If someone else listens to you, now that, that makes you into a king. So the fact that we're separate from Hashem, 
We have egos. We're independent. We're separate. But nevertheless, we devote ourselves to Hashem. And we accept upon ourselves the yoke of heaven. We connect to Hashem. And by doing mitzvot. So therefore, we make Hashem king. And we are His faithful and loyal followers and servants and, and, and soldiers, etc. But there is a separation. Nevertheless, there is a separation. As connected as you are, as much as your whole life is based on accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven. And that becomes the foundation for your life. Especially if you dedicate not only your behavior to Hashem, you dedicate your whole being to Hashem. And therefore you pursue good deeds and you go beyond the letter of the law. But nevertheless, there's still a separation. How do you overcome the separation? That's by studying Torah. What's the superiority of studying Torah over doing a mitzvah? When you study Torah, it says Torah precedes the world. The foundation of the world begins with kindness. <laughs> Why is the foundation of the world kindness? Because emotions, emotions, although emotions characterize us, my love, I'm attracted, I'm, I'm fearful, but nevertheless, they characterize the person in relation to something outside of it's my response to the world around me. So I love something outside of me or I'm attracted to something outside of me or I'm repulsed by something outside of me. So even though it's, it's my character, it defines me, but it defines me the way I am in relation to something outside. So yes, it's true. It's a, it defines the person himself. And even if there's no one around, like Avram Avinu, Avram, after he had the major surgery, he circumcised at the age of 99. Three days later, he was in terrible pain. More so from the surgery, he was in pain from the bris. He was in pain from the fact there was no guest. He was physically in pain. The fact that three days went by and there wasn't a single guest. Never in his life did three days go by and he didn't do any acts, acts of <laughs> kindness. See, he was in pain. So Avram was sitting alone in the tent. And he was in pain because he wanted to do kindness and there was no one to do kindness. So yes... This was Avram's character, character trait. Avram was so full of love and so full of kindness, he wanted to give. And he had no one to give to, he was in pain. But he was in pain, this, this, this attribute is Avram's relation to those outside of him. Avram wanted to do kindness to others. He couldn't do kindness, so he was in pain. But versus the intellect, intellect. Intellect has nothing to do with those around you. Intellect is when a person is all alone. The intellectual doesn't need a social life. Intellectual entertains himself. As a matter of fact, he finds people very distracting. Intellectuals like to be very isolated, curl, curl up in a book and don't bother them. You won't see them for three days. And they're the happiest, the happiest. They don't need. They're social people that just thrive in social interaction. They can have brilliant minds, but that's not who they are. They're just... They're, they thrive on social interaction. Either they become politicians or they become whatever they become. They, they interact with people and that's what they thrive on. That's their strong point, their emotions. Versus intellectuals, they live in their, they live, entertain themselves. They don't need any outside stimulation. On the contrary, the ivory tower intellectual, he finds people distracting. He just needs his peace and quiet, live in isolation, alone, hundreds of miles away from anyone the better the farther away from people the better and you can just sit and meditate and reflect and, and think and his heart's desire 
So the, the, the whole idea of intellect is not based on your interaction with the world around you. It's, it's a person is for himself. The way a person is thinking for himself and trying to understand things for himself. So that's what the Torah means. This world is founded on chesed. Olam, chesed yibana. The world begins with Hashem's attribute of kindness. Because Hashem's attribute of kindness, Hashem's attribute of love, Hashem wants to bestow kindness. In order to bestow kindness, there needs to be a world in order to bestow kindness. So the world begins with Hashem's attribute of kindness. Versus the Torah. And the, Hashem's attribute of kindness, this is what the patriarchs were about. Each patriarch embodied, the matriarch embodied another attribute of Hashem's emotions. Versus Moshe Rabbeinu gave us the Torah. The Torah precedes the world. The Torah is where Hashem's mind, so to speak, where Hashem is thinking for himself. In the mind, the outside world doesn't exist. All that exists is the person himself. So Hashem, the Torah is the way Hashem is thinking for himself. The way Hashem understands, the way Hashem is thinking. And therefore, on that level, the world doesn't exist. All that exists is Hashem. So when we study Torah, we get a glimpse of Hashem's mind. We enter into a place where the world ceases to exist. There is no world. All there is is Hashem. And the way Hashem is thinking. And the whole world is merely just a reflection of the Torah. There is nothing else. All there is is the Torah. Why is there Wall Street and stock market and finance? Because it says in the Torah you should give tzedakah in order to fulfill the mitzvah of tzedakah. That's why there's a whole world of money and finance. It's like, like in a judge. A judge gives a verdict for a case. The judge is thinking about one thing. The judge is thinking about the, the, the ideas and the, the different arguments and the different... Uh, you know, whether this is the right way, this is the right way. His world is really a world of thoughts and ideas. He's not living in the practical world of a business dispute. and That's not his world. To the defendants, all that matters is the practical business dispute. You know, he stole money from me, he didn't stole money from me. You know, I'm right, he's wrong. For the judge, all that matters is really the concept and the, and the, the thoughts and the ideas and he gives a verdict based on pure concept and ideas. And this whole case is just, it's just like a, a case, it's just a, uh, a showcase to, to articulate an idea. This is a perfect showcase to express an idea. It's not about the case, it's about the idea, the pure idea, the pure concept. So the Torah is where Hashem is thinking for himself. Before the world exists, there is no world. All there is is Hashem. And Hashem is thinking. So the whole world is just a showcase to bring out a point in the Torah. There is nothing else. So when you study Torah, and your mind becomes one, united with the mind of Hashem, then really you become one with Hashem. You become completely unified with Hashem. A place where there is no I, there is no ego, there is no I, there is no world. All there is is Hashem. You become one, you participate in Hashem's deliberation. Now Hashem is thinking for himself and what's, what's the reality and what's the truth. And that's why a Jew gets so excited. As we studied in chapter 5 in the first part of Tanya, lessons in Tanya.com, that when a Jew studies Torah, we get so excited, even if we study things that are completely impractical. The things in the Talmud, the Talmud discusses at great length, things that have no relevance, no practicality. 
in conventionally in society, who studies the who studies law? You're planning to become a lawyer. You're planning to become a judge. You study law. If you have no interest in law, if you have no interest in becoming a lawyer or a judge, you're not going to spend time studying law as a hobby. You're just not. You're not going to sit the hours a day sitting and reading law. And yet, every Jew spends hours every day, decades, discussing laws in the Talmud. Civil law, this law, laws that you're not a judge, you're not a lawyer, you never will be, you're not a dayan, you're not a rabbi. And yet, with such zeal and zest and enthusiasm, spending hours discussing tenant, uh, tenant, landlord relationships, partnership, it's completely irrelevant. Because what's the point of the Torah? It's not, it's not the, the practical case. It's I'm becoming one with Hashem, I'm merging with Hashem, my mind is merging with Hashem's mind. So all that exists is really Hashem and His mind and the Torah. And, I, and my mind is becoming one with Hashem's mind. So in that case, you've completely become absorbed with Hashem. And you overcome the separation. There is no ego. There is no I. As the Beis Yosef, we have a book from the Beis Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, lived a ripe old age. And there's a very interesting book. He had a magid. He had like an angel. He used to come and teach him Torah. And Rebbeis Yosef would study Mishnayis by heart. And then the mag, the, this Magid, this teller, this angel would reveal himself to him and say, I am the Mishnah that's speaking in your mouth. I am the Mishnah. In other words, when a Jew studies Torah, your whole being becomes the Torah. Your being becomes completely absorbed. That your whole being becomes the Torah. It's not... When the rabbi says so-and-so, it's not the rabbi that's saying. The rabbi is nothing. The rabbi disappears. The rabbi doesn't exist. Who is the rabbi? It's the Torah. Hashem is saying. God's mind is saying. This is, this is truth. This is Hashem's truth. This is the reality. And everything in the physical world is just a showcase to bring out another idea, another concept, another, another point in the Torah, another truth. doesn't matter if it's practical, not practical, relevant. What difference does it make? All that exists is really Hashem and His mind and His Torah and, and so when you study Torah, you become completely absorbed and inseparable from Hashem. That's why you have to stand up for, for a Torah scholar, because he becomes like a walking Torah. It's not you're standing up for a human being, but this human being has become completely one with Hashem. He becomes a walking Torah, a living Torah, and therefore you stand up for Hashem, not for, for a human being, you're standing up for Hashem. And when the rabbi says, not the rabbi says, Hashem says, because it's the Torah that's speaking through the rabbi, this is Hashem's mind. Through your mind, you become completely one. When you understand and grasp a concept in the Torah, you understand it thoroughly and very well, your mind becomes completely inseparable and unified and absorbed within the mind of Hashem. So therefore, that's how you overcome the separation. So when the Jew studies Torah, a Jew doesn't study Torah in order to get to heaven. Let me study a lot of Torahs, so I'll be rewarded, I'll get to heaven. No. When you study Torah, you are in heaven. <laughs> when you study Torah, there is no gap. There is no separation. There's no ego, there's no, there's no chasm. You become completely unified and one with Hashem. Your whole being becomes completely absorbed within, the, within Hashem. That's the higher level of Teshuvah. That's how you achieve the higher level of Teshuvah. First, you have to have the lower level of Teshuvah. While you're still solid and soiled and dirty, and first, as he said earlier in the beginning of the chapter, you have to cleanse yourself. But once you cleanse with the 13 attributes of mercy... Now you can move on to the higher level of teshuva to overcome this separation.
So this is, as it's going to say now, this is the hay. This is the Toshuv hay. You restore the higher hay, the first hay, the deeper hay. This represents the higher level of Tshuva. The Zohar goes on to say that doing so makes one worthy of the revelation of the letter Vav of the Terekramatan. For this letter Vav is the child of Yudhei or Bina. You know the level of Shuva, the return of a higher letter He of the Tetragrammaton. The word itself is a composite of the words Ben This alludes to the spiritual emotions of love and fear represented by the letter Vav that are born of the intellective levels of the Tetragrammaton, the Yud of Chokmah, and the He of Bina. Firstly, he said that the way of Teshuva of a higher level of teshuva, it's not enough to study Torah, but he says you have to study Torah with love and with awe. Because studying Torah could also be very egotistical. It could fuel your ego. Hey, look how brilliant I am. Hey, I'm studying Torah. Torah is deep. Torah is profound. Torah is it's just a way to prove, you know, it beats playing chess. It beats uh, just a way to prove how sharp my mind is and how clever I am and how smart I am. And then you use the Torah to come up with novel interpretations that completely far from the truth because it's not about you're not studying Torah in order to become close to Hashem in order to understand the truth of Hashem if you study Torah and realize that the Torah is divine that this is the divine mind you would approach Torah with holiness every word, every letter in the Torah is sacred and therefore you would instead of it would minimize the I instead of I think and I say and I believe the more you study Torah, like Moshe, the ultimate studier of Torah, the ultimate receiver of Torah, you become completely humble because you're studying the divine mind. Instead, unfortunately, we find too many cases, especially those who, study, who don't study Hasidut and don't study Kabbalah, all they study is the mind. They worship the mind. The Torah, study, the Torah scholarship only fuels their ego and their arrogance and is completely counterproductive completely takes them away and distances them away from the whole theme, the whole spirit of the Torah, from Teshuvah, from the whole spirit of godliness, instead of making them refined people, instead of making them egoless, good, kind, good people, sweet people, they become impossible, arrogant, impossible, stuck up, unapproachable, and then they start telling you how brilliant they are, and uh, the more Torah they study, the more impossible they become, the more inhumane they become, the more Everything that's the exact opposite of what the Torah should, the effect that Torah should have on a person. So that's why he qualifies it. The Zohar says a higher level of tshuva means studying Torah with a love of Hashem and an awe of Hashem. It's only when you study Torah with a refinement, a certain egolessness, with a humility, the humbleness, and put your ego on the side and realize that yes, I'm studying Torah using my mind and using my brain, but ultimately I'm studying the divine mind, which is infinite. So I think, I say, it's a miracle that, they, that Hashem lets us in, allows us in, even inside, to, to enter into His mind. So if I don't understand something, Torah is holy and Torah is divine. So break your head. Maybe if Hashem will help you, you'll understand it. But don't start, you know, editing. Well, Rashi says this, but I think differently. Who, who are you? Who, <laughs> who do you think you are? You think. Who am I to think? So if Torah is just intellect, then what do you mean? It's all about intellect. It beats philosophy. It beats Greek philosophy. I'm, I'm brilliant. But if Torah is divine and holy and godly, you have to approach it with, with humility. 
So the, the, when do we say that the Torah achieves a level of teshuva ilah, the higher level of teshuva, it's only when you study Torah appropriately, with a sense of divine, sense of the divinity, a love of Hashem, an awe of Hashem. Because otherwise, as the Alter Rebbe uses the analogy elsewhere, in the Kuti Torah, Torah is compared to bread. But in order for bread, because you digest the bread, and it becomes part of your bloodstream, the food becomes trans- transformed into your bloodstream. So Torah also, you absorb the Torah. Torah becomes part of your spiritual bloodstream. You internalize it. But that's only if the bread is well-baked. If you eat bread that's not baked properly, it's just going to give you a stomachache. <laughs> How do you bake the bread? You got to put it in the fire. The fire is the love of Hashem. If you have love in your heart, if you have a feeling for Hashem, you have a feeling for godliness, then the food is well-baked. Then when by the time you absorb the food, it's fresh out of the oven, it's fresh, not stale bread, not hard bread, it's not raw, it's, not, it's, bre- it's fresh, <laughs> then, the bread could be, then the bread is nutritious and it feeds you and it satisfies you and it strengthens the soul, body, body-soul connection. Versus if not, it just becomes completely counterproductive. So that's the caveat that he adds. And then he says, this is the higher level of hay. And the hay represents the bina. Now, bina is made up of two words. Ben yudke. The son of yudke. Yud <laughs> represents wisdom. Hay represents understanding. So yudke together represents the mind, the brain. And Ben, the offspring of yudke. The emotions are offsprings of Yudke. The emotions that come as a result of wisdom and understanding. Emotions that are based and built on wisdom and understanding. We can understand the idea of the hay. Hay is understanding, studying Torah, using your mind. And it represents the Torah, which is also Hashem's mind, so to speak. But why do we say that Bina, which represents the hay, is Ben Yudke? We're also discussing not only the intellect, we're also discussing the emotions that result from the intellect. That was Vav. That, that's a whole different letter in Hashem's name. Why are we connecting here? We're connecting the Vav to the hay, The emotions to the hay, The love and fear and awe that come as a result of the intellect. And that's all included in Bina. That's all included in the intellect. So here we're talking about a different level of emotions. There's two types of emotions. There is ex- the external level of emotions, which most of us experience, and then there is the higher level of emotions. Now, even though intellect is, hard, is greater, is more elevated than emotions, but nevertheless, it's much more difficult to change an emotion than it is to understand, <laughs> an, uh, to grasp an idea, to grasp a concept. It's very easy to understand. We can understand lofty ideas. We can understand ideas very well. Because it's easy to understand. Why is it easy to understand? Because you don't have to change. It doesn't change you. If we were half of the way we understood we should be, this world would be a much different place. We understand a lot. It's very easy to understand. But it doesn't change a thing. So I understand. People go to therapy for years. The therapist tells them, you're this way because when you were three years old, this happened to you. Okay, you understand it. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> so, 
Now that I know, I have this insight. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make, it change me one bit. It doesn't, it's a waste of time. I mean, what's the point? So, okay, so now I understand. Emotions are much more difficult to change because emotions are you. It's your character. It's your personality. To change your personality, to change your character, that's much more difficult. It's easier to know the whole shaft, the whole Talmud, backwards and forwards, than it is to change one characteristic trait of yourself for the better. That's, that's the challenge. That's hard. You could be brilliant. And you can know everything by heart. And... But change a personality trait. Change from being nasty and mean to kind and generous. Being, from being stingy to being generous. From being ill-tempered to being even-tempered. It's much more difficult. From being lazy to being energetic. It's much more difficult from being unfocused to being focused. This, that's the easy part. The easy part to understand is very easy. But to translate the understanding into emotions, into character, changing your personality, that's very difficult. So that's the usual order of things. First you understand. <coughs> then comes the emotions. But there's a very narrow, that's what's called a bottleneck. Because there's a very narrow one-lane road between the brains and the heart the neck <laughs> and it's a, there's a lot of traffic and a lot of <laughs> rush hour and somehow it doesn't that doesn't move from the brain it doesn't move to the heart it's, it doesn't translate into change knowing doesn't translate into changing our personality and character you have to work on it it's very difficult the, on the other hand the advantage of intellect is with your intellect you can go very far you can understand deep concepts you can understand lofty concepts you can understand inspiring concepts See, with your mind, you can go very, very far, because it's abstract. The problem is, it doesn't translate into practical, into personally, to personalize it, to internalize it, to integrate it. That takes a long time. But then there is the inner level of intellect, the inner, uh, inner level of emotions. There is a level where a person's intellect is so profound that you understand ideas that are very lofty, and they have an immediate impact on the person. They immediately have an effect in your heart. And sometimes the loftiest concepts, the most abstract concepts, that just blow, blow you away, have an immediate Im- impact on your personality and your character. And it engages your heart as well. When you understand something on that level, when you have an inner understanding of things, not just an external, mechanical, superficial understanding of things. But if you have a very deep, penetrating, profound understanding, an inner feel and understanding for things, that understanding automatically brings with it the emotions. And the emotions are almost unselfconscious. You don't even, it's not an effort. You don't have to make a conscious effort. External emotions, external understanding to external emotions, you have to make a constant effort, you have to make a conscious effort. It's a distance, you have to travel, it's a journey to get from the brain to the heart, you have to, you have to pass through the neck, and you have, to, you have to get the idea and translate the idea into changing your personality and character. It's a conscious effort, and it's a very difficult effort. But when your understanding is from the inside out, and it's not just an external mechanical understanding, but you, you have a feel for the subject matter. 
and you have an inner understanding feeling for what you're discussing in a very deep, in a very personal, very profound way, the emotions come unselfconscious automatically. It has an effect on your emotions. You feel elevated. Your being feels elevated. Your, your whole character and personality is changed and transformed and affected and moved and touched by this, by this understanding. That's a rare type of understanding. Few people have it naturally. We all have the potential deep down, but most of us never deliberately and consciously access this level of understanding. But this is the higher level of understanding. And that's what the Zohar is referring to. Bina, the higher level of understanding, that's why it's hidden in the word. It's not overt. Not everyone could achieve this level. But hidden in the word, you also have the potential for Bina, Ben Yutke. In the Bina, you already have the Ben, the offspring, the emotions, the Vav. The emotions come together. It's like a package that comes together with the understanding. When the understanding is so profound, there is no barrier then between the intellect and the heart. The heart, because this is an understanding that's a soulful understanding. It's not just mechanical. There are people who are very mathematical, like engineers, very mathematical, they figure things out, but it leaves you very cold. I can understand something, but it doesn't change me. Why doesn't it change me? Why doesn't it affect me? It leaves me very cold. It's brilliant, it's mathematical, it, it makes sense, I can figure it out, and technically it makes a lot of sense, and I can even get excited about understanding the intellectual concept, but personally it leaves me cold. It doesn't change me, it doesn't affect me, because what does my brain have to do with my heart? So it's a long journey. Costs more than a lal ticket to get from here to there. <laughs> it's a long journey to get from the brain and to work your way to the heart. And that's what prayer is about. During prayer, you have to work and work to take the ideas. In prayer, you're not learning anything new. You're not studying Torah. Prayer, you're saying the same prayer over and over again every single day. The prayer is a time to take the concept, the ideas that you know, and work it through your heart. Until you reach a level where you love Hashem, you can love Hashem, you can say, honestly, I feel attracted to godliness and I feel repulsed by anything that's the antithesis of godliness. And I'm proud of my Jewishness. And you feel it and you experience it, but that takes working. Prayer is called Avaidah. It's work. It's hard work. To take an abstract concept that leaves you cold and to, to be warmed up and inspired by it, that it should start cooking inside of you, that that bread should start cooking and baking and there's heat, there's warmth, there's fire. There's a fire in your belly, there's fire in your heart, there's feelings, there's, you're alive. Emotionally, that takes work, that takes hard, hard effort. But that's only externally. But then there's a deeper understanding, an inner understanding, a soulful understanding. You know, from the inside out. And that understanding affects the whole entire person, the emotions as well. We see it in every area, every area in life. There's, you know, people have a knack or a talent, a knack for like a certain subject matter. And they just, their understanding is from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. They have a feel for it. It's not something you can get in school. You know, you can go in school and you can master the mechanics. But you'll always remain a machine, a good mechanic, a good engineer. But there's no soul then there's a soulfulness. A person who shines in his area. Everyone else is learning the same area, and yet he just has a feel for it from the inside out, and therefore he's able to see things and, and appreciate it and explain it in ways that the person mechanically just can't translate it into real life, because by him it's all abstract. 
versus the person who has a feel for it, it's, it's a lie. It's soulful. And therefore, if it's soulful, then your emotions are also part of your soul. Then your whole soul becomes absorbed in the understanding. When your whole soul becomes absorbed in the understanding, you become absorbed in the understanding, your emotions are also absorbed. Then your emotions change, and how you feel changes. And it elevates you, and it inspires you, and your whole being becomes filled with this, and absorbed in this understanding. So this is Bina, the higher level of Bina, which contains in it the Ben, Ben Yudke. The Yudke contains in it already the offsprings, the emotions. These are, these are emotions that are inseparable from the understanding. Because it's an understanding that's soulful. It goes so deep that it touches your soul. And if it touches your soul, then your emotions are part of your soul. And therefore your emotions are just as equally absorbed together with your understanding. So this is the higher level of Teshuvah. Where you become absorbed within Hashem, you become absorbed within this Torah, and you become absorbed with, within the divine, and you, you, you become godly. Your being becomes godly. Not just you're doing Jewish. Your whole being becomes true. Your whole being becomes godly. You start thinking and looking at reality from Hashem's point of view, from the inside out. It's a different world. Then. You're wearing a different glasses. You see a different world. You're not seeing this world you know, from outside in. You're seeing the world from the inside out, from Hashem's point of view, from a Torah point of view. It's a whole different reality. So that, so that you've overcome the bridge and the gap between the separation between the person, the soul, and Hashem. So you've restored, you've come home, you've brought the soul back to its original state when the soul was completely absorbed and inseparable from Hashem. You've gone from ego to egolessness. You become completely one with Hashem. Now, he doesn't explain, doesn't go into detail here, because there's Yud and there's the hay. He's just explaining the hay. The hay is the higher hay, the higher level of teshuva. But just like the lower level of teshuva, there's two levels in the lower level of teshuva. There is the hay, and there is the vav, as we explained earlier. Sur meirah, turn away from evil, accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven. And vasei toiv, not only dedicating your actions to Hashem, but dedicating your being to Hashem, pursuing good deeds, going beyond the letter of the law, trying to do more than comes natural, pushing the envelope, stretching yourself, going beyond your nature, so too within the higher level of Teshuvah, there's also two levels. There's the hay and there's the Yud. The hay, as he explained here, is studying Torah. And studying Torah with a love for Hashem and a sense of awe of Hashem. It was feeling and sensing the godliness within the Torah. But then there's the Yud. The Yud represents the idea as explained in the Hasidus elsewhere, Kaddish Atzmach B'mutalach. Kaddish Atzmach B'mutalach means that in all your ways you should know Hashem. Even as you go about your daily life, even when you're not studying Torah, you're eating, you're drinking, you're doing business, in all your ways you should know Hashem. Whatever you're doing 24-7, you should know Hashem. And what that means, practically, is, see, we... We eat, because we're hungry. After we eat, we bench. We thank Hashem. Imagine a Jew who eats because he wants to bench. <laughs> In order to bench, you have to eat. 
He wants to bend, she wants to bend, she wants to bless Hashem. But how do you bend? You can't say Hashem's name in vain. So he eats in order to be able to bend. So his whole eating was about what? Was about the benching. By us, the eating is about the eating. But listen, you have to make a blessing before. You have to make a, you have to sandwich it in a blessing before and a blessing after. I'm a, I'm a religious Jew, an observant Jew. So I'm thinking about Hashem before and after, but, but I'm eating. <laughs> the eating is eating. And I take my eating seriously. But there's a blessing before, there's a blessing after. But imagine the whole reason I'm eating is what I should be able to bless. Like eating on Shabbos. The eating itself is a mitzvah. Not just the, the blessing before and the blessing after. The eating itself becomes a mitzvah. Like the Kohen, the priest, would eat the sacrifice in the temple, the left, leftover of the sacrifice. That's part of his service. He's eating it in the temple. Because that's, he's serving Hashem. It's the act of eating is holy. So imagine everything that you do is like that. I'm doing business because I have to give tzedakah. Everything that you do is permeated with Hashem. In a, in a deeper sense, this goes beyond the absorption of the level of hate. The absorption of studying Torah is, yes, my mind is completely unified with Hashem, and whenever I have a chance, I'm studying Torah, and I'm completely one with Hashem. But nevertheless, even there, there's still a separation. There's me, and I am becoming completely absorbed within Hashem. So subtly speaking, very subtly, there's still a separation. There's I that's becoming completely absorbed within us. But there's still an I. I still have a private life. Because when the, I close the books and I'm eating, I'm eating. Now I'm taking care of myself. Of course, every opportunity I have, I'm going to study Torah. But I can't say that 24-7, there's nothing else but Hashem. Hashem is very prominent, very important part of my life and the main part of my life and I'm completely absorbed by it and, but nevertheless it's, it's still compartmentalized it's still a part of me that's private a Jew however, who with, in all his ways he knows Hashem even things that are permitted, he sanctifies 24-7 even, even when I'm pursuing my own mundane life, I'm constantly 24-7 completely absorbed within Hashem this is the ultimate level of absorption. This is represented by the you, the level of Chachma. You're so absorbed within Hashem that there is no I. There is nothing left. There is no I. All there is is Hashem. I breathe godliness. I eat godliness. I sleep godliness. My relationships, my business, whatever I'm doing, entertainment, whatever I'm doing, 24-7 is Hashem. Even when I'm going about my personal private life, there's no private. All there is is Hashem. There's nothing else. I'm just a reflection of Hashem. This is the ultimate level of Teshuvah. This is the highest level of Teshuvah. You become so unified. Your soul is restored back to its original state the way it was before it came down into the body. You become so unified within Hashem just like you were before the separation there is, that there is no separation. There's no longer any separation. Even as I go about my daily life 24-7, I'm completely inseparable from Hashem. This is the Yud. This is the highest level. Now, earlier, just to go back a moment, earlier he said, page 1088, he says that after the lower level of Teshuvah, after you're purified, then you can restore, return to Hashem Himself, Mamish, the top of page 1088, you can restore to Hashem Himself. And then he adds, to ascend to the greatest heights, to the very source. 
The question is, after your soul has been restored and returned to Hashem himself, mamish means literally to Hashem, how could you go higher than that? <laughs> how does he continue to go higher and higher to its source? You just said that the soul is restored to Hashem, his essence, Hashem himself. Once you're connected to Hashem himself, there's no higher, there's nothing else. What do you mean then? Why, why does he continue? And then, and then you go step by step, you go higher and higher. So the Rebbe explains that just like the lower level of Teshuvah, we have the point of Teshuvah, the essence of Teshuvah, which is basically the shift. The moment you make that shift, the moment you make that interchange at Hashem, I'm reconnecting, I'm once again accepting upon myself the yoke of heaven, I'm dedicating myself to you, I belong to you, I'm yours. That's, that moment is a moment, a split second, it's a shift. You've turned east from west, you've turned around, you've, re- you've returned home. But then it's not enough. You need then to take this, reconnect, and translate it into daily life. You have to restore, undo all the damage that you've done. You have to return the, the, the thefts that you've stolen. You have to apologize. You have to take care of all the damage that you've done. You have to mend and fix everything that you've done. That's a process. That doesn't happen in a split second. The essence of Teshuvah happens in a split second. Before you were disconnected, now I'm connected. But now that I'm connected, now I have to translate it into real life and do it step by step. So too, in the higher level of Teshuvah, you also have the point of Teshuvah, the essence of Teshuvah is you've returned and reconnected with the essence of Hashem. In other words, you realize that even though you may not feel it, you may not experience it, but the truth is our whole being and our whole essence is godly. And because our whole being and our whole essence is godly, therefore for me to sin, to throw off the yoke of heaven, is so contrary to my nature, to my core, to my essence. It's absurd. How can I throw off the yoke of heaven when my whole being and my whole essence is godly? Because I'm connected, like he says, to Hashem Mamesh, to the essence of Hashem. A Jew's connection to Hashem is so deep and so profound. We're just coming from Shavuos. This is what the Baal Shem Tov said. Why did Hashem have to force the Jewish people to receive the Torah? Why did He have to force them? So he held the mountain over them. If you're going to receive the Torah, good. If not, I'm going to bury you here. The Jewish people accepted it willingly. They said, we will do what we will listen. So the Baal Shem Tov says, because Hashem was telling the Jewish people, there'll come a time in your own personal lives, or collectively, that you won't be in the mood to study Torah. You won't want to study Torah. So you have to realize, I'm forcing you. In other words, there come a time you have to force yourself to study Torah. Don't only, our relationship is not only base, it's not new age. Oh, if I feel like it, if it makes me feel good, then I'm in. But if I wake up in the left side, and today I'm not in the mood, I'm out. <laughs> this is not Judaism. That's new age, that's not Judaism. It's Hinduism, Buddhism, anything else, but it's not Judaism. Judaism is, you feel like it, you don't feel like it. It doesn't change. Judaism is truth. It's reality. It doesn't change with your whim and, and, and it's not limited to your understanding and to your mood. So therefore, they have to, even you have to force yourself. So the Rebbe asks, he says, doesn't understand. What, what does the Baal Shem Tov mean? What do you mean? The Jewish people accept it upon themselves. We will do and we will listen. We accept it upon ourselves, the yoke of heaven. By definition, a yoke means like a soldier. A soldier doesn't follow moods and whims. And I'm a soldier, a commandment, I obey my commandments. Whatever I'm told, I obey. Otherwise, the whole army f- falls apart. 
you know, a soldier does first you do and then and then you'll figure it out. He says, why does a soldier have a head? Because he has to fit his helmet. He has to be able to keep his helmet on or whatever. You just have to do and then you'll figure it out. So the Jewish people had already accepted upon themselves the yoke. So the Rebbe explains. I actually saw it today. Unbelievable explanation. The Rebbe says, because even, uh, even if though we accepted upon ourselves the yoke of heaven, that it's not going to be limited to my mood, not my mood. I'm loyal. You can depend on me. I'm going to do it. It's not limited to my understanding. It's not limited to my mood. But nevertheless, because a human being is limited, and we're finite, so there'll come a time that it'll become so difficult being Jewish and following Jewish law will become so difficult that as dedicated as we are and as devoted as we are and as well-intentioned as we are, we just can't. We're just too limited. It's too much. So Hashem held the mountain and said, it's not by your choice. It's your truth. It's your reality. You are godly. You are a piece of me. And I am unlimited. And therefore, I'm giving you the strength that even though humanly, it's humanly impossible. You live in the world which is the antithesis of godliness, which everything in this world screams right at you to distract you from godliness, to tear you away from godliness. And we have every reason in the world to rationalize and to excuse that it's not realistic, it's not practical. Hashem says, I am giving you a piece of myself. I am unlimited. There's no limit. And I'm giving you a piece of myself. And therefore... Since this is your essence, this is your core, you have a piece of me, literally. Therefore, there's nothing in the world that can stop a Jew from fulfilling all 613 mitzvahs at any time, at any place, under all circumstances. No exceptions whatsoever. You can't say, well, this is not realistic for me. Maybe it was realistic for a Jew living in the shtetl, but my situation is not realistic. If a human being is finite, you're right. But, a human be- but we're not dealing here with a human being. We're dealing here with Hashem Himself a piece of the divine essence, then there are no limitations. So that's what he says. Teshuvah means you restore the soul literally back to Hashem Himself. Once you realize that this is your core, this is your essence, now after you've had that turning point and that realization and that connection, now I have to go back and internalize this point. Every step of my life, every detail of my life, every aspect of my life, that's where he continues. Then you have to go higher and higher. Okay, now we conclude the chapter. Herein lies the superiority of penitence over the perfectly saintly. Seemingly, the study of Torah, permeated with love and fear of God, is not the unique prerogative of penitence. The perfectly saintly do this as well. Wherein lies the superiority of Baal Toshiba? In other words, the question is, this problem that we have, that there's a gap between us, and, our, and, and Hashem, that by our mere existence, there's an ego, there's a separation. And therefore, we a higher level of teshuvah means we have to overcome the separation. This is not a problem that afflicts the sinner, the baltruvah. This afflicts the tzaddik as well. The tzaddik also has this problem. Even if you study Torah in the mitzvah, there's an ego, there's a separation. And the tzaddik wants to overcome the separation. The tzaddik wants to become absorbed within Hashem. The soul wants to return back to its state, to its original pristine state, the way it was, inseparable and, and united within Hashem. And the only way to do that is, is through teshuva. So why, even the tzaddik has to do teshuva. So why is this the prerogative of the baltruva? What's so unique about the teshuva of the baltruva? 
and he's gonna, that's why he's bringing the Zohar that, that true. This level of Teshuvah, the higher level of Teshuvah, overcoming his existential angst, overcoming the problem of existence, which afflicts everyone equally, the Tzaddik just as much. But nevertheless, the Russia has an advantage. What's the advantage of the Russia? As the Zohar states, Pashat Chaya Sara, they drew upon themselves with a more intense longing of their heart and with greater forcefulness to approach the king. The advantage of the Baltruva is that the Baltruva returns to God with a much more intense, powerful energy. Precisely because the Baltruva was cut off and starved. Some Jews with, for three generations have been cut off from anything Jewish. The soul is starving. Just like the body is hungry, the soul is also hungry. It also needs to be nourished and nurtured. And if you starve the soul, and the soul hasn't had a single positive and meaningful Jewish experience, the soul is starving. Imagine someone is starving who hasn't seen food in, in years, who hasn't eaten. Imagine the thirst and the hunger with which that person devours the food and appreciates the food. The intensity, the intense <laughs> hunger and the intense yearning is so much stronger, so much more powerful then the yearning of the tzaddik. A tzaddik is, in, is, in, is not in a dark place. A tzaddik is in a very good place. He lives in light. He lives in a very illuminated place. He never had a breakdown. He didn't stumble. His life is beautiful. He's immersed, immersed in, in holiness. He's shielded, protected. He's living the good life. So yes, he feels the existential angst. It bothers him that he's separated from Hashem and existence bothers him and therefore he cries out and he wants to connect with Hashem through studying Torah and that's what drives him and propels him to study Torah and do mitzvot. So that's also a level of teshuvah. But you can't compare it to the level of the literal, the Baal the person who sinned, who stumbled, who had a breakdown, who, who completely his life was shattered and his heart is broken to a thousand pieces and who has to run away from negativity, from darkness, from evil, because that thirst and that hunger is so powerful that it catapults him much farther than the tzaddik. That's why, when is the only time of the year that the high priest, the holiest Jew, is allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies? On Yom Kippur, on the day of Teshuvah. Teshuvah propels us into the Holy of Holies, the innermost chamber. The tzaddik can, can, never, can never enter into the Holy of Holies. His level does not... He cannot arrive, he cannot enter into the Holy of Holies. Only the Baal because he sinned, therefore the, this intensity catapults him and takes him so much farther. So his, his unity with Hashem is so much deeper and so much more profound than the unity of the Tzaddik. And even on a simple level, the Baal also is like an, on a Tzaddik, because the Tzaddik, we explained and we learned in the first part of Tanya, chapter 9 and chapter 10, LessonsInTanya.com, that the tzaddik has no evil inclination. The tzaddik doesn't even want to sin. His whole, his, he's repulsed by sin. The baltruva also, the baltruva who sinned and then come home reconnected, there's such an intensity that anything that's sinful, anything that's not Jewish, he's repulsed by it. He, as much as before he was attracted to it and he was running towards it, now it's like fire to him. I have to run away. This is, this is death. This is fire. This destroyed my life. This, I, I don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And anything that's godly, he can't get enough of. Enough Torah, enough mitzvot. It's just, it's just like a person who was starving and just, just can't get enough of it. It's so novel and so exciting and, so, and it's so intense and so powerful and so profound. So he's the tzaddik 
plus. He's a tzaddik on, on, on steroids. <laughs> he's, he's, his connection to holiness and to godliness and to Hashem is so powerful and so intense. So that's why he achieves the ultimate unity. And that's ultimately the only reason why Hashem allows us to sin. Why does Hashem allow us to sin? Why does Hashem allow us to stumble? Hashem is kind. Hashem is good. Why would He allow, he will allow, why would he allow our soul to go through such a painful experience? He can protect us. One day He can protect us. Like a good parent, you protect your child. Why would He allow us to stumble and to hurt ourselves so badly? The ultimate reason, only, only for one reason, so that we should reach the level of Teshuvah. Because had we never stumbled, and if we can't make a real boo-boo, like a real <coughs> a beauty, a real mistake, like only we know how to, then we wouldn't also be able to genuinely do Teshuvah. So we would never have that experience of reconnecting with Hashem on the deepest level, on the most profound level. And that's why, as we spoke in the beginning of Egeres HaTshuva, the Rebbe says, the different parts of the Tanya represent, and we'll finish with this, different parts of Tanya represent the four parts of the Code of Jewish Law. first part of Tanya represents Erechayim, the way of life, how we have to live our life. It spells out the life of a Jew, the inner workings of a Jew. Second part of Tanya is Yoyerdeya, teaches us the wisdom, the knowledge, the higher level of unity, the lower level of unity, understanding, grasping the idea of the unity of Hashem. Fourth part of Tanya is Chayshin Mishpah. It talks about money. Most of it talks about giving tzedakah, especially giving tzedakah, giving tzedakah um, to help tzedakah in Israel, helping the poor in Israel. And um, this part of Tanya is Evan Ezer, which talks about relationships and marriage. The question is, what do you mean talks about relationship and marriage? This is talking about someone who sinned. Why, why would we refer to this part of the tshuva to relationship and marriage? And it's interesting, where do we learn the laws of marriage? From divorce. It says in the Torah, you will divorce and she will remarry. So we learn all the laws of how you get married and we learn out from the verse of divorce and marriage. Why would the Torah teach us about marriage of a marriage that comes after divorce? Why should there be a divorce in the first place? It should just be a marriage. It should never be a divorce. Hashem cries if there's a divorce. Why, why do we learn marriage and divorce? And the answer is, because what's the ultimate model of marriage? The ultimate model, role model of marriage is the Jewish people and Hashem. Hashem is the groom, and where is bride? So the Jewish people and Hashem, we have a little, if we had a marriage at Mount Sinai, then we had like a divorce, the exile, it's a separation. Our home is destroyed, we're homeless, he's homeless, we're separated, so it appears to be like a divorce, a separation. Mashiach will come, that will be like the marriage after the divorce. That will be the ultimate marriage. That's teshuva. So marriage is unity. Teshuva, returning. The ultimate union. The ultimate intimacy, the ultimate union. But the ultimate union, the ultimate intimacy is through the baltruva. When we sinned, and we went into exile, and the temple was destroyed, and Hashem poured His wrath out, and all the negativity, and the darkness, and the challenges, and all the failures, and... And then we come home, and then we are restored, and we heal. This takes us to a place of such a depth, to the third temple, which will be the eternal temple. 
takes us to such a place that without this we could never have achieved such a level of intimacy, such a level of unity, such a union with Hashem. And ultimately that's the whole purpose. Why Hashem allows us to stumble. Before every breakthrough, there has to be a breakdown. <laughs> that's the breakdown that leads to the breakthrough. To be continued, chapter 9, please God, next week. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.